Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Back to Truck Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen here with my good friend Justin Martin. Uh, Back to Truck is the premier freight culture podcast out on the internet. And today we're going to be talking with some friends of ours about human trafficking, the plight that it is dealing with inside of freight culture. Uh, as you all know, next uh, beginning on January 9th through 13th, this podcast will be going out in the middle of it on Wednesday. Uh, is the CVSA's uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Initiative. Uh, it's expanded this year from last year. It's now a full week for each member country of the CVSA. And today to talk about it, we have uh, Kyla Lanier from Truckers Gets Trafficking and Jake Eliverta. I've, I've, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that again, but uh, he's from the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, the CVSA. And uh, Justin, how are you doing today, sir? Doing all right. I need to ask Jake how I get a roll of those uh, stickers I could put on my windshield. Those are hard to come by these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. So uh, CVSA's Human Trafficking Initiative, uh, it's, this is the second year, right, Jake? I know yet last year it was a three-day event. This year they're expanding to a full week. That's correct. Well, uh, it's expanding from three days to five days. And this was as a result of... Uh, response from the participants from last year's event, both law enforcement and industry, uh, their feedback to us was that it was actually too short. They wanted to have more of their employees and staff involved. Um, and so they felt really felt strongly that a Monday through Friday event would be the best way to do it. And uh, we unanimously approved that recommendation for this year. Yeah. Truck drivers and law enforcement don't usually have like a Culturally, they don't culturally get along. How have you guys been able to bridge that gap? Well, I, I think this is, uh, and I'll let Kyla also talk about it, but I think for us, you know, our relationship with industry is is, is safety. And, and something mm-hmm. like this in nature is, is really an important for both uh, industry and law enforcement. It, it is a very heinous crime. And it's one that, you know, where we can remove a victim from, a situation in, in the in the transport sector is is very important to us, but I also let Kyla talk uh, about it as well. So, with the Human Trafficking Awareness Initiative, um, this is an opportunity for law enforcement to provide awareness materials to truck drivers, and that's obviously at the core of TAT's mission: is educating, equipping, empowering, and mobilizing members of the trucking, bus, and energy sectors to recognize and report the crime. So. Getting those extra wallet cards, getting those window decals, having more presentations at trucking companies, um, outreach at truck stops and bus terminals um, throughout these weeks in like a concentrated effort. Like this is the more materials that are out there, the more awareness that is raised. That's That translates to more calls from truck drivers when they see it. And that is relating to victims being recovered out of a trafficking situation and arrests being made for for the perpetrators of this crime. So I see it as going like hand in hand, you know, when everybody's working together and that awareness is getting out there. I mean, this is how we cripple those trafficking networks and and really recover victims. Hmm. And when you say networks... um... I always ask, like, what do you guys mean by human trafficking? Because it could, is it like literally somebody snatching someone off the street or, you know, somebody with their kids taking them away from like custody of their, their parents? Like, what do you guys typically see uh, by human trafficking? So human trafficking is the exploitation of human beings through force, fraud, or coercion, either for the purposes of the commercial sex industry. And that can be street-based prostitution, brothels, both illegal ones and illegal ones. You see trafficking victims there. Um, It can be at um, massage parlors with those happy endings. Almost always you have trafficking victims being exploited there. And then in the legal commercial sex industry, in strip clubs and uh, in pornography, we hear from trafficking survivors that their traffickers took them um, to strip clubs, made them dance. And while they were on stage, they were making dates for these women in the audience with the guys. And then those women were forced to perform those sex acts later. And then likewise, you have it throughout the production of porn. Um, You have uh, traffickers that use pornography to train their victims and desensitize them to the more vile and violent acts. You have buyers that are showing them the images and the videos they want to reenact. And then we also see it in um, a lot of their exploitation being filmed and uploaded. So Pornhub is involved in a ton of lawsuits right now. 
uh, victims of rape, gang rape, and sex trafficking have had their um, these violent crimes filmed and uploaded. Some of these victims are as young as 14, even when they've provided the proof and the uh, police records to Pornhub, they refuse to take those things down. And so um, you just don't even know who you're watching. And so that's the sex trafficking side of it. Labor trafficking, we see it in um, agriculture, construction, nail salons where people get their manis and petties done, uh, domestic labor, um, magazine and, uh, you know, like those sales crews that come through neighborhoods, places like that. And in all of these, this is what is the crux of the human trafficking. It's that force fraud or coercion pushed into these different um, sectors, but somebody else is making the profit off of them. That's the third party. That's your trafficker. They're making that profit off of this person's labor. So parents stealing uh, kids from a spouse, that's kidnapping. Hmm. That's not trafficking. Um, smuggling when you are bringing somebody across the border because they've paid you a fee to come across the border, that is not trafficking. Um, a smuggled person can become a trafficking victim later, but that's not, it's a different crime. Um, taking pictures of people uh, in a, a location or following them around is not trafficking. There is money being made off of the labor. That is human trafficking. And we have 50 million people across this planet that are being exploited in some form of human trafficking. Yeah, the the labor part is interesting because when I think human trafficking, I, I think of like you know, the sex slave trade, et cetera. But the the labor trade uh, is very interesting. Like I'll see, you know, everybody sees a, a, a white school bus, you know, full of migrant workers going by, and you don't know if they're people here on like a temporary work visa or if there's somebody that uh, literally has their their passport stolen and like they have to go work the fields uh, or else they're not getting paid to send the money back home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see a, a ton of labor exploitation throughout the world and certainly in this country. That is the number one form of human trafficking globally. Hmm. So th- that's those are the situations those, those people are in. As a truck driver behind the wheel, what does that look like to me as I'm looking out the windshield? What should I be on the lookout for? Yeah. So if you are in a truck stop or a rest area or you're by a location that has hotel motel or um, strip club or massage parlors or things of that nature, right? Uh, what you're wanting to look for anytime a minor is being sold or advertised for commercial sex, that is automatically trafficking. You don't have to prove force fraud or coercion. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're a kid. They're being exploited. doesn't matter if they're under the influence, if they've got an attitude, if they're telling you they like it, none of that matters. They're automatically protected. If you see a uh, evidence of a trafficker or a third party controller, AKA a pimp, right? That is, and that pimp can be a female as well. And so if you've got somebody that looks like they're under somebody else's control, maybe they are being dropped off to somebody. And then that same car is coming back and picking them up 15 minutes later. That is a trafficker bringing a victim to a buyer and then coming back and picking them up. If they go to a central location and turn over their money periodically through the night, these are indicators of it. If there's CB chatter about commercial company, almost always that is a trafficking victim. They're negotiating that price. That can be done online as well. So those are some of those indicators. We've heard from a lot of truck drivers that say that they're being approached at these locations and offered um, like how they're staying on the lots longer is they're saying that they're selling perfume or they're selling magazine subscriptions. But then when they get into a conversation with the driver, they're then offering sex. So they have this guise of like this actual legitimate sales thing, but it's just to get up there and not be thrown off the lot as quick. And so just paying attention to those types of those indicators on the labor trafficking side. If you're at a business that has a lot of bars on their window or excessive security materials, you know, um, locks on the outside and inside. I mean, just a lot of just not typical ways. If you actually go into a business and you see mattresses in the back rooms where people are staying, these are indicators of labor trafficking in a field. If you see that nobody's getting, I don't know how long somebody would be there loading up um, on produce or agriculture, but if they see you know, them, nobody's getting a break. Uh, people look weary. Um, they're being, uh, it's abusive practices. Again, worth a phone call to 911. Yeah, I've never seen anything firsthand as far as I, I think human trafficking anyways. I, I would I would really, you know, hate to have that on my conscience, like seeing it and then never reporting it. But I've definitely been to some places where like safety was kind of like not even a second or third 
concerned. It was just, you know, out the window and I'll write that place down and then just Google them six months later and see what they're doing. And chances are, you know, something there blew up and people got hurt and, you know, the lawsuits came flying. But uh, yeah, the, the, the bars on the windows and mattresses, that's, that's, that's interesting. I've never um, noticed anything. Do you ever see anything like that when you were on the road rooster? Well, I actually, you know, talking about the labor party, I grew up on a commercial produce farm. So I know all oh, yeah. about that stuff and all the, all the crazy stuff that goes on behind the scenes with uh, the, all the refugees from the Dominican Republic, uh, Haiti, uh, Guatemala, you know, all those guys come in. Um, you know, most of those guys have, you know, their, their visas, their I-9s, you know, they're checked through thoroughly, make sure they're all right. But, you know, sometimes you'll go by a field and a commercial operation, you got to ha- nowadays, you have to have a, a port johns you got to have a, a hand washing station because of the chemicals. And, you know, that, that's fairly regulated. They got to have it, you know, uh, Department of Labor, Department of Agriculture will ride by and if they, they see a, a workers out in the field pick and they don't see that that rest restroom station out there uh, most of the time it's just loaded up on a 20-foot trailer you know all strapped down together but if they don't see that they'll go in there and they'll bust them and that's a serious fine yeah that's where a lot of those uh, recalls come from well yeah but if if you go by a field and you don't see like uh the, the necessities out there you know uh, uh, mm. some form of a uh, wash trailer or uh, extra vehicles out there that would have drinks, supplies on them. You know, that could be a forced labor operation. You know, that'll be looked at. Hmm. Uh, just the kind of to you, Justin, saying, you know, I'm not sure if I saw it. I, I think one of the things that was eye opening for me is when I first met Kyla and, and took her training, is, you know, like I said, I was in law enforcement for 32 years. And um, after I took the training, I, kind of looked back on my career and said, you know, I think there was at least two situations that I could think of where I probably did see a case of, of uh, uh, human trafficking and just didn't realize it. So, uh, you know, that's the focus of when we talk about the human traffic awareness initiative is raising that, that bar, make it, raising that awareness, not only for uh, the industry, but for law enforcement, because there's a lot of law enforcement officers that haven't had the skill sets or those tools that, to understand what they're looking at or the kinds of questions to ask. So that's part of the whole focus of this initiative for us on this over the next three months. It's like the matrix. Like once you've seen it, you can't, un- you see it everywhere. Yep. You yes. know, I, I probably went over a year and a half before I, you know, we're, well, I'll use the professional term here. I went about a year and a half before I ever saw a lot lizard out in the wild. You know, when I started my career, and you hear about them being everywhere. And I'm like, I don't, people are crazy. Like they just don't exist anymore. And then I saw one in Texas. And then like, it was like for six months straight, like every single truck stop I went to, I was like, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. It's just, I didn't, and I don't know if I wasn't paying attention and I just had to have, you know, they right in, right in front of my face. But like, um, I, I, I think that's the same thing. Like you, you, once you see a blatant, you know, case of human trafficking, then you, then you kind of have the, 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 you know, we'll pull from over, over your eyes and you can kind of see what you missed before. It doesn't even have to be blatant. I mean, it just uh, as Kyle was talking about different examples, but just the one, say you go, you, you stop at uh, the truck stop to get a can of Coke and, and, and some chew and you're in line and you have a, a female that's in line, but she puts a couple items down on the counter to be paid for but she doesn't have the money. There's a, a male or somebody behind her that has the cash mm. or has the debit card or the credentials, the ID to verify. I mean, those are those are just their small nuances that when you go through the training, you pick up on that. And yeah, no, I never would have even thought of that. And I would, I would also say, if you look at the academic studies that have been done on prostitution and you look at um, just the... Uh, feedback from people exiting the commercial sex industry, you're looking at close to 95% of uh, people in prostitution that are there with under third party control. So all those quote unquote lot lizards, and we don't really like that term because it's, it's, it's dehumanizing to the people, they're not reptiles, but like, I, I get that that's the most common term out there. But when you're looking at them, what I'm telling you is the research would back me up. These people are oftentimes trafficking victims, or they have been trafficked throughout the vast majority of their life, and now they don't know what else to do. So you are looking at people that are being exploited 
whether you recognize it. And, and people always want a victim to appear as a victim or what we think a victim would be like, please help me, meek and mild, beat down. That is not the case. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they're going to have a very hard edge. They're going to be in your face. They're going to act like, tell you, uh, fight you on. This is their choice. They love it out there. They don't have a pimp. They don't have a trafficker. That's their man, blah, blah, blah. They do this for the drugs. They're, they they do this because they like sex. They have, you know, or they'll give you their hard knock life. What I'm telling you is that those are defense mechanisms. They have as high of rates of PTSD as uh, veterans returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. They have extremely high uh, levels of dissociative identity disorder and personality disorders. You are talking about highly traumatized, highly damaged people. And they defend by putting on that shell and that armor because what is the other result? You let that level of trauma in, yeah. you collapse. Yeah, absolutely. And survival is number one. And so what you're encountering, I always like to like blur that line a little bit. And I, that's because I used to have truck drivers that would say, well, all I see is lot lizards. As soon as I see a victim, I'll make that call. And I'm saying, that is your victim. Really? That is how, how, okay. Out of, I don't know what the numbers would be, but like, let's say out of five truck stops I go to and I see these women out there out of those five truck stops, how many of them do you think, how, what's the, what's the ratio between somebody who's out there on their, for themselves or because they're trafficked? Well, like I said about, uh, the academics would put it at about 95% wow. do not want to be there. That high. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and what I would say is, you know, if it's an adult and it's been somebody that's been out there a really, really long time, your initial like, hey, can I call somebody for you? They're probably going to tell you no. But what yeah. you can do is say, hey, can I get you a bottle of water? Um, do you need a cup of coffee? Just showing that human compassion. They might be like, no, get out of here because they, they're not used to any type of kindness or compassion. But it's that first step. Or give them a wallet card and say, hey, if you ever need services, you can call that number and they'll connect you with somebody that can help you. Mm. And just like just those nice types of things, you're not responsible for getting them out. Law enforcement can intervene if they do want that help. If it's a minor, please, please call. If you see third party control, please, please call. But the ones that look like they're there independently, what I'm telling you is most likely they are a sexually exploited person. This is a traumatized person. This is a trafficking victim or somebody that has experienced trafficking during the course of their lifetime and they just need some level of compassion and kindness. How does somebody usually end up in that situation? Is, is there like a typical path or, or is it just anyone could be a victim of this? Anybody can be a victim of trafficking and Jake, you can jump in on this one too. But I mean, I, I would tell you anybody can be a victim of trafficking. Um, we've seen people from two parent, very wealthy, very successful, highly educated homes that were trafficked. We see people from, um, you know, that are undocumented that are trafficked. We see people from poorer areas, from broken homes. It's regardless. What traffickers always are looking to exploit are vulnerabilities. They want to go after people with vulnerabilities. And you can look at vulnerabilities on all this different spectrum. People in poverty, people with single parent households, sometimes the single parent themselves, if they're young enough, they'll use the kid as leverage against them, mm -hmm. right? Um, people with physical, mental, and emotional disabilities, do they have lower self-esteem? Do they have a lack of friends? Um, people that are in foster care that lack that familial structure. Um, almost always in sex trafficking, you have prior sexual and physical abuse from childhood on that led them to being vulnerable to an exploitative boyfriend that came in, an exploitative father figure that comes in that says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do this. While there are instances of kidnapped people that become trafficking victims they're kidnapped off the streets and put into trafficking that's that's way rarer that's the minority the vast majority know their traffickers either a school friend a teacher a coach a pastor a, a boss a boyfriend a friend a family member that is who's exploiting these people they have a relationship they groom them and then they're preying on those vulnerabilities. They use that against them and they manipulate, the, manipulate them into that. And a lot of times you see uh, people with past abuse that are highly more susceptible. It is just a massive risk factor. And it's like one abuse after another, after another, mm -hmm. after another, after another. How much has social media played into, you know, the traffickers getting into contact with, with potential traffickees? 
We've seen a massive increase since COVID. I mean, it's always been going on. Um, and you have cases <clears throat> across every platform from Facebook to Instagram to TikTok to uh, Plenty of Fish to um, on OnlyFans to every dating app out there. Dating now sites it's, too, really? Um, oh my gosh, yes, yeah, constant. Wow. Um, you have online gaming. Um, they had a kid that was lured out through um, Minecraft. What? Um, as well as, <laughs> uh, yeah, because... Oh my wherever God. they can get into your home. And that's why people are like, well, yeah. I'm safe because I'm not X, Y, Z. Do do your kids have smartphones or internet to the uh, yeah. access to yeah. the internet? Do they have, um, did they have to do online schooling? During COVID, you saw a massive uptick of grooming, um, online grooming. Now, um, post COVID, what we're seeing is a massive uptick of, I mean, that hasn't gone away, but the massive uptick of online exploitation. And I mean, just massive amounts. They are using all of the platforms um, to lure, to groom, and to exploit both child and adult victims. Yeah, I think enough, I think a lot of people that grew up, that are growing up today, like that are first-time parents or second-time parents, they didn't grow up with the internet uh, as in its infancy. I did, unfortunately, or, or I guess fortunately. So I was always raised you know, the internet is a cesspool. And I think people have kind of forgotten that it is literally hell on earth and plan accordingly. You know, all, all these social media sites to their credit, you know, have tried to put the guardrails up and put bumpers up on everything. They want to make everything safe. And no, you're still dealing with people. You have no idea who that person is on the other side of the screen. And some of the pe- best people I've, I know in my life, I've met online. You know, I met my wife, uh, through a dating app. Um, so there is, you know, the good and bad out there, but I don't think enough. I, I think that, you know, we, we grew up, I grew up in the eighties and we would see like PSAs all the time for, you know, don't talk to strangers. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's gone away now. Now it's like every kid has, a, has got a smartphone in their pockets. And I don't think parents uh, realize just, just what they're putting their, their kids into. No, it's a, it's a significant draw. I mean, I, as a father of uh, five kids, um, and uh, still have, it, and still have, <laughs> still have one and or two in the house. It's uh, the, the youngest and a daughter. It's like that is my worst nightmare of mm-hmm. you know, and and trying to be vigilant and also uh, you know being mindful of the kids as they go old. You know, they're just they're growing up and they're having their independence, but knowing particularly from my experiences in my career of how dangerous that internet is. And just, you know, I can't stress enough. Parents have to be vigilant and watching uh, what's out there and what are out there apps. And it's constantly evolving. I'll tell you the other thing is the kids have gotten really smart. You can lock them down one way. They figure another way around it. I mean, it's incredible how they get around my, stuff. My, my sister has four sons and their elementary school had the bright idea of getting every single kid in the district uh, Chromebooks and they were completely unlocked. They weren't, you know, no, oh. yeah, no filters, no nothing. And within like three days, the kids were what the, and it was sneaky. What the kids were doing is they were emailing each other through like their internal school message, but they were, they were sharing, sharing like scary stories, like, you know, dumb, dumb kid stuff, nothing like explicit or anything, but just that the parents were freaking out. They were like, Oh my God, I can't believe the kids are doing this. I'm like, you, you guys have no idea. You're, you're literally handing every single kid in your district, a Pandora, a Pandora's box. And uh, so many of the parents were just completely ignorant, um, you know, and bless them. You know, I'm glad they don't uh, know how, how bad it can be. But like, you got to educate yourself a little bit if you think you're going to um, uh, give your kids something like this. Um, Jake, I wanted to go back since, since you have a criminal um, a law enforcement background. I wanted to ask you, what are some more signs that drivers need to look out for? Because like you said, like putting the items on the counter, that's something I never even, even would have thought of. What are, what are some other things? To what look are, I think it's, you know, this, and I think Kyla can probably give a lot more examples because even me for, I'm still learning as I go along, mm, okay. but you know, you know, like I said, those, those nuances, the control, you know, if somebody comes in a restaurant, somebody's ordering for them, uh, you know, somebody may be st- sitting outside, uh, you know, as Kyle says, your pimp sitting out behind uh, at the bathroom door waiting for their, their victim to come out, you know, just kind of monitoring, being involved uh, um, being shadowed. Uh, you, you see a lot of that. Um, and that's part of the reason why I think it looks great with Kyla is, uh, with her, Pat is having posters available where they post them in the bathrooms. Um, so that the victims have an opportunity to get that number because, um, as Kyla has told me in the past, you know, you can give them a card and, and the pimps will go through 
and look for the cards in their wallets or within the whatever they're holding some of their items with. So, you know, it's those are the types of things of kind of that control and environment is, you know, would certainly be one. Um, you know, I was just uh, was talking to somebody else. They were talking about a story previously. A trucker came into a rest area. Uh, there was an RV in front of them and uh, saw a couple leave the RV and then happened to see this young girl open up the curtains. The curtains were closed and then saw the driver and immediately close them. And just something to him said, something's wrong mm-hmm. here. Called law enforcement. Lo and behold, it was a, a victim of uh, trafficking. Um so there's definitely those kind of scenarios. And Kyle, I would even hand off to you as the other things that you're seeing as part of the indicators. Yeah. So, I mean, if you see that passenger vehicle or that RV, I mean, uh, Jake's, I think, referencing the the Kevin Kimmel yeah. story where, yeah, it was a 20-year-old victim in that RV. They were selling her online and they were parked in the back with the the trucks. Men were buying her online, coming to that location and raping her and then leaving um, she had been tortured to the point where doctors said that had Kevin not made that call and police not arrived, she would have been dead in the next couple of days because they had starved her and tortured her so badly. Oh. So, and people were still using her. Um, but I would say we had a team driver, husband and wife team drivers that saw a um, sedan in the back lot with the trucks and they just thought that was really odd. Uh, The trafficker basically had um, put a trucker special online. And so um, he had four teenage girls in that sedan with him. And as guys were buying online, uh, the girls would get out of the car and walk to the truck. That was basically the truck driver that was buying them. Um, And the the pimp was sitting in that car. Um, They called law enforcement. They called security um, and they were able to get those girls away and they were able to get that guy arrested who was a known trafficker in the Dallas area. So um, I would say anybody that's just not typically there, like start, look a little bit longer, you know, ask some questions or just see what's going on. Um, They've also had just people that are dressed inappropriately for the weather or Mm. lingering around. And you and you also we've had cases from an enforcement standpoint of uh, port of entry out in Midwest or uh, the West Coast um, inspector uh, happened to have a truck come in for inspection, but the, something looked out of sorts that the, you had an older driver and a young female, um, and just things didn't seem to match up. Had a conversation with the driver, asked the victim. She gave her her name, did a Google search, and she was a runaway out of the Midwest, and so. Um, they were able to recover her. I mean, there's you, you as you drive, and particularly your professional drivers are out there, they know what a normal, you know, a team driver or, you know, maybe a passenger or it's a family member. But, you know, if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, pass the straight face test, you know, that's always the opportunity. Nothing hurts by not making a phone call and having long pass and just check out. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing you hate more than like an RV parked in the truck parking at a rest area. So, you know, even if it isn't somebody being trafficked, you, you got, you got a parking spot back. So you, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> I say that all the time. Like the, the guys that, uh, I'm trying to bring some levity to this conversation. It's a bit of a downer, but like, uh, you know, guys who don't honk their horns at school buses, you know, when the kids are pumping their arms, I'm like, okay, Half those kids are probably going to cry because the horn is so loud on that truck. So if you hate kids, you should be honking the horn whether they want you to or not because you're, you're probably going to make some kids cry. I've had it happen. I had a kid in Texas. He, uh, I'm, I'm sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and this like, little kid next to me goes, Hey, mister, and I look over, and he's giving me the, the pump. I was like, all right, kid. Well, I had train horns on the truck, and they were on the bottom facing out the sides, and he got a full-face blast of train horns and all oh, his mom wanted to murder me right there. And he was, I mean, he's crying. Like, you asked for it. That's like the aunt giving a drum set to the sister's kids. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I do that every, so like I said, my sister's got four boys and I, every year I try to figure out like, mm, what can I get them to like really terrorize them? So they, they've gone through the Nerf guns. They got the tablets now and, um, I don't know what she wanted. She didn't say what they wanted this year. So one of them's a teenager now. So that's like a whole, a whole separate thing with him. <laughs> so other than like the RV that sticks out like a sore thumb, I'm a truck driver sitting behind the wheel looking at my windshield, um, and I see something and I want to report it. What exactly are the steps I can do to take to uh, you know get that get that out there? 
I mean, if we say if you know it's a crime, like you know it's a crime, there is a child being offered to people for sex. Mm-hmm. Call nine one one. Get that response out there immediately, and call like while it's happening, so that they can actually go in and intervene. Um, I think what's so hard for us sometimes is we'll get um, a tip from someone two day, two three days out, and they're like, "Yeah, I saw that. I know I should have called, but yeah, I'm yeah. letting you guys know now." Well, they're gone. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll pass it on to law enforcement. Law enforcement immediately goes out and checks. But two or three days, like they could be in another state by that point. They could be, you know, we don't know. And so um, call while it's happening. If you are unsure and you just do not want to call 911, you can call the, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, 1-888-373-7888. Um, another easy way to remember it is 373-37. What is it? My gosh, why am I forgetting that? 888-373-7888. Like just sort of clump it up like that. 3737-888. But I I would say 911 is your best bet. Um, They'll be able to respond. You don't have to leave your name. It can still be anonymous. But tell them where you're at, what you're seeing. Give the license plate. Um, If you can take pictures and they have a text, like send it, send the pictures to them of the occupants of the vehicle, of the person that you suspect is a victim, um, any of that identifying information. If it does, God forbid, happen to be a truck driver that might be trafficking somebody, and I and I know that there are some cases of that, um, get their DOT number, right? Um, we did actually, uh, it was through a way station, a port of entry, uh, really odd interaction with a driver, um, had a, a female passenger about 20 years younger than him. Her story was really off, very strange. Ran his name um, through. He had an outstanding warrant for um, a a sexual assault of a a child um, from another state, and they were able to arrest him and get her away. She was in the grooming process. Just everything she was saying, everything he had already done to her um, was just like boom, 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 boom. So like, we had that DOT information. We had everything. We contacted the company. We had law enforcement in three states working that up. I mean, it was just like completely, uh, we had everything that we needed to make that case and get her away and get him put away for what he had done to other children. And he actually admitted, he was like, oh, I run party buses. Oh, they all want to be there. This is what, yeah, like he was wow. really wild, right? But like, then here you go. He's got this evidence against him. He's got this warrant out for his arrest. So just having that information is really, really helpful. But I would say, please, please, please call while it's happening. And if the hotline does not respond right off the bat, call 911. Mm-hmm. Just say, I don't want to give you my name. This is what hap- This is what's happening. You need to send somebody out here. It's potential human trafficking. And don't say prostitution. Say it's potential human trafficking so that it it like raises those alarm bells and raises that up to the right detectives, the law enforcement officers that are trained to handle these cases so that there is a response. How about the online stuff? So you said like the, the one camper had, you know, a trucker special online. Like what, yeah. what are these sites? How are they getting a hold of them? Are they shutting them down? Is it part of a bigger ring or are these like small yeah. independent operations? I mean, there traffickers can be anybody. Like I said before, I mean, you've had you have these big transnational crime organizations and like mob things that run girls and, and boys. You you have street gangs that do. You also have moms that sell their children. One of the the ladies that works on our staff, she was trafficked by her mother um, from the ages of six to eighteen. Her mother was a registered nurse and her dad was a stockbroker. They were upper middle class, and here they're they're selling their six year old. Um, for commercial sex. So it can be sort of anybody. But what I would tell you is if you, they're running these ads, it used to be Backpage. Backpage got shut down, but they're running them through even like singles ads on Craigslist. I mean, that's the the Kevin Kimmel story. They were, they were posting ads on Craigslist um, under the dating app hmm. sites, right? So there's a lot of um, commercial sex being offered through a normal relationship apps, date apps, um, things like that. But they'll put like little uh, truck icons sometimes on there and be like, oh, we're going to be off exit, blah, 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 Hmm. in this motel room. And so if you're pulling off into that truck stop that has a motel, I think one of the indicators there would be, do you see multiple people going into a hotel and then leaving 20 minutes later? That's not normal. Most people, when they check in, 
they check in, you know, and if it's multiple people just sort of walking over there, going in 20, 30 minutes later, coming back out, um, you, you potentially have something that they can check on. But yeah. Do hotels usually help, uh, you know, in reporting this stuff or are they keeping it kind of under wraps because, you know, they don't want to, you know, have, De- have the- depends on the establishment. I mean, there are hotel chains that are absolutely training all of their employees on human trafficking and they have protocols of that. Oh, oh, what about like Airbnbs? Like, it, you know, I'm, I'm, it's 2023, you know, the, the technology yeah. tools that are available to these, you know, criminal scumbags is like almost unlimited now. Yeah. Um, you know, I would tell you that trafficking victims can be exploited anywhere and an Airbnb could be one of them as well, because, you know, the, the owners might not even be there. You can rent whole homes where nobody's around. So I'm sure that that happens as well. They set up wherever they can. Yeah. So if you have an Airbnb in your neighborhood and you're trying to get it shut down, just say it's uh, human trafficking. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say do that because we don't want to like that's that's a little bit of the crying wolf, and we we actually want law enforcement to take the cases seriously. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, as your resident truckers against trafficking representative, please do not do that. <laughs> that'll be that'll be a one off the cut oh. from here. Uh, so Rooster kind of put this whole thing together because he actually drove the uh, truckers against human trafficking uh, tr- truck at one point, right? The Freedom Drivers yeah, uh, Project. Yeah, the uh, I think it was like either 2016, 2017, back while I was working with Schneider. It was about my first year anniversary, and I got this little special task put on me to go up to Chicago to one of the golf courses where the Truckers Gets Trafficking tour trailer was and bring it over to the, the Schneider's Gary, Indiana terminal for safekeeping. And I don't remember if you were there, Kyla. There was uh, some other like that would have been yeah. Helen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, y'all guys go through the traffic gets trafficking photo album. You might see my face there. I've had that opportunity. It's a wonderful exhibit. If you ever get the chance to go out, it has, uh, some of the, uh, I don't like to use the term propaganda, but some of the material that, uh, has been collected and traffickers use to lure in the, their victims and, uh, storytelling items that tell you the story about some of the victims, uh, Kyle, is that the uh, trailer? St- I believe that trailer's still out and about and going on tour. Uh, do you know about where oh, it is? Oh yes, Lake- high demand. Yeah, it's it's all over this country. It it went it debuted itself out in Canada last year, and we've got a couple more um, events up in Canada this coming year as well. But yeah, it's it's constantly on the road. We do have those artifacts from survivors of trafficking that tell a little bit about their stories. We also have. Um, you know, really cool stories of industry members that have made the call and made a difference in their lives. It's a very moving and inspirational um, exhibit that that we make available to our um, partners, to the general public, and then of course to um, the trucking industry itself. Can you guys tell us a little more about your um, expanded initiative uh, you got going on this year? It's a partnership between not just the U.S. but the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, correct? It is. And like uh, we talked earlier, it started out as a three-day event last year. Um, and it, it, what it was, was uh, we, uh, it was based on an initiative that started out of the uh, state of Michigan. Michigan State Police uh, did an initiative uh, with Indiana and Ohio and added on Illinois as well. And basically, back then, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Crum, Michael Crum, was the one that kind of helped institute of really trying to drive raise awareness with the troopers that are out on the road that deal with commercial motor vehicles that, you know, during just your normal course of duties, whether you're at a way station or doing an inspection stuff and you're talking to drivers, you can educate the drivers about human traffic and raise that awareness. And so based on their uh, initiatives, we kind of uh, enlarged it and brought it to an international level with the support of CVSA, the Alliance. And uh, so Last year, we had 35 organizations that participated uh, between U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And this year, with Kyla's arm twisting, uh, we were able to have verbal commitments from 49. uh, I call her our sergeant of arms now within our uh, committee. Um, She's been able to, (laughs) we've got a commitment from uh, 49 jurisdictions. And, you know, one thing that we were having a conversation earlier in the week is, you know, it's hard to get government to do a project and, you know, get them to commit for a couple of days. 
the fact that we have this many organizations willing to commit to not only do the project, but expand it from three to five days says a lot about how important it is to our organization membership. And again, with CBSA, it's not just law enforcement jurisdictions, it's, a, it's industry as well. I mean, uh, uh, the major carriers, small carriers, OIDA, uh, all those folks are all involved and in, in very committed to this effort. So again, we're doing it f uh, five days this year. Uh, again, we've increased uh, with the participation and again, the other thing that I think it's it's important to raise is some people say, oh, CVSA is doing this initiative. It's an enforcement event. It isn't an enforcement. It really is an it's an awareness. It's an educational event. Uh, we're not stopping you. Um, like our data collection uh, forms, we just track how much of you interacted with industry. You know, how many presentations did you did? Did were you at the truck stops? Were you at the rest areas? All we're trying to do is raise awareness, publicize the importance of this initiative of preventing uh, human trafficking. It isn't like international road check or operation safe driver or brake check you hear about every year. This is one of those where we are partnering with industry and want industry support. Um, and raise awareness for everybody involved of what to be on the lookout for. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, you know, law enforcement and trucking don't usually get along culturally, but I feel like a, a topic like this is something where people can put their differences aside to help uh, combat it. The um, partnership you guys are doing with Canada is very interesting to me because um, a good friend of ours, a Canadian truck driver, Gordon McGill, uh, he's constantly sharing this article uh, from a few years back about uh, truck drivers in Canada that were victims of human trafficking. You know, a lot of people don't don't know about that where, you know, they're brought in from overseas on like a work visa and then their passports are held, basically held hostage. And if they're not driving the truck, you know, they, they get uh, punished or sent back home. Yeah. And we've seen that here in the U.S. as well with foreign nationals that basically get into very exploitative contracts that they can't even read. They're explained one thing, but it's yeah quite different and they get into this debt bondage situation and there are threats and there is just like a ton of um, that coercion and that, and that fraud brought to bear on their ends as well. So absolutely. That's another form of labor trafficking. Somebody's making that money off of this exploitative labor practice Yeah, and that person is trapped. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of them are like lease purchase programs where like they have to come in and put down money to drive for that person. Yeah. And then it's just like they have, so I'm just reading the details here. There's one guy they, they profiled and he said in a, in a six month driving period, he was off only eight days. The rest of the time he was just constantly driving. Yeah. So it's a, which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you don't typically think, you know, with truck drivers, they're usually the ones reporting on the human trafficking, but you don't typically think of them as the victims of human trafficking as well. What other um, areas in like the labor pools do, are, are there, are there like usual hotspots for like labor trafficking or it just, it's all over the place. It's, I mean, it's all over the hospitality industries. Um, a lot of illicit businesses have labor trafficking as well. Um, I, when I was a teacher, we had a student that I reported. I thought it was, you know, sex trafficking. It turned out to be labor trafficking. Hmm. The Russian mob in our town, she was an immigrant, a second generation immigrant. They were making her drug deal. Um, and so the law enforcement was able to get her away. But that was sort of like those illicit activities. Uh, traveling carnivals have a extremely high rate of labor exploitation. Um, and they'll oftentimes give those people drugs. They're on the move all the time. Um, very long hours, things of that nature. Um, in hotels, motels, restaurants, um, where you have maids, cooks, um, people that bring in nannies, um, also child bride or not child brides. I shouldn't say that's more sex trafficking, but like mail order brides, it's supposed to be this like match, you know? Um, and then what's actually happening is they are brought in and forced to be, um, the nanny for the person's, uh, kids from a previous relationship, the mm -hmm. cook, the maid, and things like that, and they're kept there, and their um, visas are or their passports are held against them, um, and they're not able to leave. So these are some of the places that you're seeing it. And a lot of our labor trafficking victims, surprisingly, are here on legal visas, just like James was men mentioning. They had all their paperwork in order, yet um, because they don't know the laws of the land, similar to these truck drivers, both in the U.S. and in Canada, that were foreign nationals. They had the legal right to be in the country, right? But their vulnerability was lack of language, lack of understanding how things run, and not being able to necessarily read the contract that they're signing. And so they were 
they were exploited. And so it can literally be anywhere. Since we were talking about like, you know, using miners for some of these operations, I was trying to find um, the name of the city. I believe it was Chicago. They just enacted a law that like, you know, they will no longer charge miners for basically anything um, if they're under the age of 18. And I have to think that like, Anybody working, you know, trying to combat human trafficking has to be telling them, like, you have no idea the can of worms you're just opening up here because those are the exact kind of people that traffickers are going to go after. Because if, if I'm a bad guy, I'm not going to have one of my underlings, you know, sell drugs. I'm going to have a kid do it because the kid's just never going to get charged. I think the intent with those types of laws, and I'm not familiar with that particular law, <clears throat> is just not to have that criminality like um, if it is forced criminality. And that's the assumption, yeah. right? They're being forced into these types of things that they should not have a criminal record that comes out of that. Um, I, I would hope that they're still able to pick them up and interview, even if they don't charge them with the crime. I would hope that they would still. And, and again, I, I'm not familiar with that particular law, but, um, you know, certainly with uh, we've had tons of sex trafficking survivors that have massive records, hundreds of arrests. Yeah. And that should not be. It stops them from getting on with their lives. Right. Like it keeps them in a really vulnerable state. Um, at the same time, I want law enforcement to uh, be able to bring them in for an interview, uh, get information off of their phones to track down those traffickers, to track down those buyers and to bust the bad guys. Like that's the only way we're going to get through it is by going after that demand side, people buying commercial sex. They're the, they, they're, they're the whole crux of the entire operation worldwide. Yeah. We didn't have them. You wouldn't have sex trafficking period. And, and, um, that, and that's where, you know, <clears throat> having the uh, law enforcement and doing that education, it's, it's not just even law enforcement, it's the judiciary, having them understand what the victims and the victimology is, uh, for these uh, uh, folks that have been trafficked in human trafficking is, and, and I think that's, you know, the focus that we're doing is, is trying to raise that awareness because even within the, your, the legal system, your judiciary and such, they truly don't understand some of the nuances of the victimology of these victims and what they've gone through and why they act the way they do. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like trying to educate them like it's taken us, for so long to do with domestic violence and only now do I think your, your courts understand the, the whole cycle of, of domestic violence as well. It's very similar to some of those scenarios you see with human trafficking. Do you think, um, would legalization solve any of this? Like, you know, I believe in uh, Nevada, you have legalized brothels out there. Are they still like hotspots for trafficking as well? Or is it just, or would, or would, yeah. that, would that help? No. no. Um, when, when you look again at the studies, there have been studies, um, I think the London School of Economics did a study of over 100 countries with different systems, full criminalization where it's illegal, um, full decriminalization where, you know, hands off, laissez-faire type of like nobody's criminalized, and then legalization. What they found in the countries that have legalized and fully decriminalized prostitution, including in those couple of counties in Nevada that have uh, legalized it, you actually see an increase mm. of sex trafficking. And the reason why for that is when something becomes normalized, you see an increased activity with it, right? And there's an increased demand. There's not enough willing participants in prostitution now, which is why sex trafficking exists, mm. right? Like if there were enough willing people to have sex for money, then you wouldn't need sex traffickers or sex trafficking, right? There'd be a plethora on the market. You wouldn't have to do it. The fact of the matter is there's not enough people willing to do it. So when you increase demand for something, right, and you still have that steady ounce of supply, traffickers just slip in. And when there is no enforcement, when you strip law enforcement of its power, right, through the full decriminalization. And that's what the pro-prostitution lobby wants is full decrim, where hands are just totally off of it. What you have is in every country that has had that, they have slipped in. The, the traffickers move in because nobody is watching them. Nobody is looking for it. There are no task forces against it, right? And all you can do at that point is focus on just minors and all adults. And, and traffickers are smart. In those areas, they wait until they're 18. But I will tell you, Nevada was actually just sued by a bunch of survivors who were trafficking victims in Vegas, in Reno, and in uh, in Vegas, it's not legal there, but um, in Reno where it is legal, right? 
where their traffickers would actually punish them when they weren't making enough money in the casinos or whatever, and then would send them to the legal brothels in Reno because they were more mistreated there. And they were taking the money from them. Yeah. So the traffickers and the security guards had it worked out even in the brothels. So those people know. I haven't been to Vegas in probably close to 10 years. But the last time I was there, it was like unbearable, the amount of like advertising for yeah. for, for sex workers out there. Like, you know, you said it's not legal out there. But the, the term they used for them was called slappers. It'd be these guys on the corner with these like baseball looking baseball card looking things and they would just, just go smack 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 as you're walking by and yeah. with with if you're within arm's reach you've got one in your hand like they're, they're just passing out cards all over and the place almost all of those escort agencies are fronts for sex trafficking traffickers wow. operate through them i mean it, operate through them it was so bad yeah. there were, it was like two o'clock in the morning 110 degrees outside and the entire ground was just littered with these cards as far as the eye can see and this was in 2000 11 i want to say so i have no idea you know what it's like there now if, if it's still just as bad but i mean i mean there were foreign tourists walking around and scooping them off the ground and then like swapping them with each other you know throwing out any duplicates they were like they had like a whole stack of them trying to collect them all like they were baseball cards yeah and this is what happens when we objectify people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Vegas has made their money off of their motto, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And having worked with survivors that uh, were trafficked in Vegas and brutalized in Vegas, they would tell you, um, I remember very poignantly them saying, it didn't stay in Vegas. Mm -hmm. It's in my mind. It's in my body. It's in my broken soul. Okay. So like I, I reject that. And what I, what I would tell you is the only way to end sex trafficking is to start focusing on and really educating and men talking to other men about not purchasing commercial sex. You are part of the trafficking system in the ecosystem when you are participating in that. Once that starts to dry up, you will see a decrease of sex trafficking. But the more we normalize this, the more we we clean up the language. Oh, it's not prostitution; it's sex work. Oh, it's not by uh, Johns; it's it's clients. Oh, it's not um, sex. Uh, you know, it's not prostitution; it's client services. Right? Like we're cleaning up this language, but it's a brutal, inherently violent system, and it destroys people. Truly, it destroys people. How how does that get squared with like the you know the the last you know, again back to like the last decade? There's been like this huge insurgence of like you know sex worker empowerment. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you score that though? I would tell you that the pro prostitution lobby has been very, very savvy. Hmm. Um, and this is, you know, they have co-opted a lot of different groups and, you know, I could share books with you if you ever wanted to read them, <laughs> um, about how they have operated for years and years. They're very well funded. They're very well funded by, uh, the pornography industry. They're very, very well funded by big brothel owners and business owners, um, when Germany went legal, they started doing these mega brothels, um, you know, and basically this sort of like um, one day flat fee for as much as you want. And like women were being churned up in these brothels. They are the ones funding these, the pro prostitution lobby. Why? Because this is a way to expand their empires mm. and they do not care who they're destroying in the process. So the pro prostitution lobby is very well healed. It's very well funded. And they will take a woman and say, hey, we'll pay you this salary. You never have to sleep with anybody again. Like we'll pay you the salary to go tout the, the you know, glories of the commercial sex industry. And I mean, honestly, what would you choose? If you've had to be having sex with 20 guys a day that you don't know, and you know, you've got PTSD and everything else, and now I'm going to pay you $90,000, $100,000 to go on TV and say how great it is. And you never have to do that again. I'd be taking that money. Yeah, no, these, these are amazing talking points because- you know, I p- political temperament wise, like I'm, I'm fairly libertarian. Um, not a fan of like government cracking down on a ton of stuff. So I would see these arguments of, you know, why you need to legalize or decriminalize X, Y, and Z. But, you know, we have seen cases where, you know, that gets implemented and then we'd see the aftermath and it's like, geez, man, you really got it. It's not as simple as just like, Oh, we just stop it and it goes away. Like it, it's it, literally everything you know, can, can, can get worse easily. Yeah. And I think, I think in this particular case with prostitution, with 
we are talking about vulnerable people that are being churned up in this industry. And are we as a society going to sit back and say, yeah, let's put our stamp of approval on that and let's let that proliferate. Is that what we want to like grow up? Do you want to raise your children, boys or girls in a society where a sex act is packaged with a burger and beer deal at lunchtime, where that just becomes this sort of normalized, objectified thing. And what does that do to rape rates? And what does that do to um, relationships? And what does that do to, I, I just say it's like a crumbling of society, not to mention the destruction mentally, physically, and emotionally of people that are being prostituted. Mm-hmm. Well, I I was trying to keep the uh, conversation <laughs> light on this topic, but yeah, it's 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 it's, hey, some rough it's, stuff out it's there. a serious serious talk when we're talking about human trafficking and uh, like we said before the the United States week for the human trafficking initiative begins on January 9th, runs through to through that Friday. Uh, Jay Kyle, is there any uh, key events going on during that week that uh, listeners should know about and? Uh, could have a chance to partake in so kyle i'm not sure what tat has planned I, what i can say is from the jurisdiction with cbsa it's really each uh, state or jurisdiction whether it's a state territory province or in the case of mexico when they do theirs it's it's really up to them um you know as states come on board and become more involved uh there, there's some states that are really thinking out of the box um, in the issues of uh, how they put the press release out, how they uh, put the information out. We had one state that sent out over 600 uh, press releases to, to, or sent out their press release to over 600 uh, outlets that were within their state as well as on the surrounding borders where the airways would cross over the other side. So, um, jurisdictions also you know depends on you know if they have partnerships with their local truck stops uh, with the rest areas on the turnpikes and such uh, so you know it, they'll report I, I think we could come back and tell you you know these are the kind of activities we saw over this past year from them um, like as we do uh, we do do a press release after the events after the three countries have done their activities to show what's done for activity uh, how many, uh, you know, uh, wallet cards are handed out to drivers, how many window decals, how many presentations. And it, again, it's um, each jurisdiction that may do something differently. Some of them, you know, the new carriers come on, the new entrants uh, as part of the process when they go in to, to, to talk about the new entrant program. That's one of the pieces that Kyle and I've talked about is, is pushing in, and some of the states are doing that as part of their introduction to new carriers is to explain to them human trafficking so they're aware of it. So each state varies, and, and what we've asked them to do is to report back to us, what what did you do? What's working well? And again, um, just the outreach in general, the fact that we expanded from three to five days tells us that these activities are going well for us. But Kyla, do you have? I've got two things for you. The first off is January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So every yeah. state, every state that has a task force or multiple regional task forces, they are all out this month. I, I'm telling you, any truck driver listening to this, just Google your local anti-trafficking task force, any local agency. They're going to have billboards up. They're going to have um, meet and greets. They're going to have um, ceremonies. They're going to have conferences. Um, January 11th is National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Uh, trust me, if you want to go to something in your local community or learn how to get involved with your local agencies and service providers, it's out there. Just Google your city, state, and anti-trafficking orgs. It's going to be there. Or you can you can actually type in like, Louisiana Anti-Trafficking Task Force, and you'll see those pop up. I know Florida has like eight or nine of them. You know, lots of states have multiples, and then some states have one, but they will all have things going on this month. So there's lots of opportunities. And then the the last thing I want to say is, for all the truck drivers listening, I love you guys. I love you. I love you. I love you. When we started <laughs> TAT, I'm a co-founder. When we started TAT, we knew you guys were it, man. You're the backbone of the society. You are making these calls. You are recovering victims. You truly are my heroes. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for being a part of TAT. Um, and I just, you know, I know this was a heavy topic today, but I just, 
I just want to thank you for tuning in and listening and for caring. You're making a difference. I got some outside of the box thinking here, Jake. Here's how you shut down trafficking tomorrow. Start handing out like a golden level one inspection sticker on every truck that like successfully reports the trafficking. You'll have it. You'll have it done tomorrow. It's a lifetime pass. There you go. Yeah. You successfully shut down one human trafficker. You get like a lifetime pass on like every every uh, inspection. We'll work ever. on that. We'll work on that at the federal level. <laughs> that's an interesting. Uh, that's the first time I've heard something like that, Justin. <laughs> tomorrow, it's done. <laughs> And, and I would, you know, for your members out there is, is again, uh, like you said, we at CVSA, like you said, it's a huge collaboration with TAT. And uh, so, you know, um, whether you go to TAT's website or CVSA.org, you can go to the Human Traffic Prevention Program. We have the links, uh, electronic form that we set up for TAT that drivers can um, fill out if they want the driver wallet card or the window uh, decal to put on their rigs. Um, they can get that. Um, you can also, if you want, you know, on your social media stuff, we, we created the uh, social media image, both in English, Spanish, and French, because, hey, we got our French brothers in uh, Quebec um, that participate as well. So um, those are available to download free um, that you can pull down and uh, put on your, you know, your social media pages such. So there's a lot of resources and I can't say enough of our work and we're going to even expand it even more in the coming year with uh, TAD is just the, the information and training that's available for industry and for law enforcement just in combating this. And so there are certainly resources on both sites that I would encourage the drivers if they want to know more or get some more insight. I mean, there's great materials there. Absolutely. I'm, they'll be more than happy to help. And uh, you guys have been more than generous with your time. Uh, I didn't know how long this conversation was going to go, but we're over an hour here. <laughs> so Rooster, you can uh, uh, sign us off unless you got something else you want to add. I'm good. Thank you. One last time, Kyla, uh, Jake, introduce yourselves. And where can we get all these great window stickers, you know, from from Tat and from uh, hopefully a CVSA bypass sticker? I would have to run it. that by my board of directors. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, Oh. Um, but but again, I'm I'm Jake Elivert. I'm the director of enforcement programs at CVSA, and uh, I am the liaison for the human traffic prevention program, and work hand in hand with our sergeant at arms, Kyle Lanier. Um If you're interested in uh, information uh, on our human trafficking or to get the decals and stickers, we do have a electronic form you can fill out, and it emails directly to Kyla's group. Um, and you can find that on cvsa.org and just go to uh, Human Trafficking Pro Prevention Program. And I am Kyla Lanier. I'm co-founder and deputy director of Truckers Against Trafficking, and I'm the secretary of the CVSA Human Trafficking Prevention Program, <laughs> a.k.a. Sergeant in Arms. I'm a little aggressive or passionate, however you want to say that. Um, and our website is truckersagainsttrafficking.org and you can also hit us on uh, Facebook or Twitter if you want any of our materials for free. Um, we'll get those sent out to you. And our email is info at truckersagainsttrafficking.org. You can just send an address and, and your request and we'll get it out. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, you can go to backtotruckup.com. We have an article already up about the CVSA Human Trafficking Initiative. There's links to the Truckers Against Trafficking website, the CVSA news release, those uh, images, social media images, if you want to put them on your, uh, all of our listeners, their uh, websites and all. And uh, one more time, uh, the initiative for the United States is January 9th or 13th. Uh, Canada, it will be February 20th through the 24th. And in Mexico, it's set for March 13th through the 17th. It's a week-long event in each country. Uh, it, it involves uh, CVSA, truckers trafficking, uh, BOTL, the Bus on the Lookout organization. Uh, this is not one of the, the CVSA normal uh, brake check weeks or driver safety week. This is human trafficking week. This is what something that drivers and law enforcement need to be working shoulder to shoulder on, with to help stop discourage that is a part of freight culture that, you know, we need to 
uh, educate ourselves on, keep the spotlight on in combat at every turn. So uh, that being said, I'm James Rooster Bowen. I'm here with Justin Martin, and we are going to catch you guys down the road. Yeah.